Welcome, friends, to Breakfast in the Ruins, a Michael Moorcock-flavoured podcast. For this show, Moorcock fan and artist supreme Goran Gligovich stopped by Derry and Tom to talk about his art and inspirations, including his work on the recently released Black Sword Hack Ultimate Chaos Edition, published by The Merry Mushman. The Ultimate Chaos Edition is the second iteration of Kobe Ash's development of David Black's Black Hack role-playing game, that realigns some of the mechanics to support a very specific flavour of fantastical adventuring. The intro to this edition reads thus. Doomed princes, cunning vagabonds and greedy mercenaries try to prevail in a world torn apart by law and chaos. Those who survive the trials of their humble beginnings may soon find themselves at the centre of this struggle. Will the usher in the dawn of a new age give the last push to a world on the brink of oblivion? or simply make the best of a dying world as long as they can. Black Sword Hack is a dark fantasy role-playing game, inspired by, but not limited to, the works of Robert E. Howard, Michael Moorcock, Carl Edward Wagner's Kane series, Fritz Lieber's Lankmar, and Jack Vance's Dying Earth books. These inspirations are merely a starting point for the Game Master. The game gives them the tools to build their own cosmic battlefield, drawing from every source they deem appropriate. Players should have free reign to explore that world in any way they want. There is no campaign arc here. Each session should be built on the ruins of the last, letting the characters carve their own fate in the conflict between law and chaos. Now, we will no doubt revisit the Black Hack Ultimate Chaos Edition in the future, and we'll discuss how that might go down with Goran. Now, Goran has a constantly increasing portfolio of fantastic works adorning various projects, some real, some imaginary, and some that absolutely should be real, and we'll talk more about that in the body of the show. So, sit back, wax your scabbard, and join Goran as me as we chew the fat about black swords and storyboards. Uh, so that Stop makes it even, even more <laughs> idiot proof. <laughs> uh, right, I'll just give it a second and then I'll do the intro and we'll pile on straight in. We've got a fairly loose agenda. We could go loosey goosey. I've got a couple of beers just to, you know, carry us on through, even though it's a, it's a school night here in Bradford. But, you know, I'm sure we can manage. I have a drink myself here. So. All right, cool. Uh, well, we're back in Derry and Tom's, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Goran Gligovich on this occasion, and we're going to be talking about some of Goran's work around Mocock and some other things as well. But welcome. Welcome to Derry and Tom's. Good evening. Uh, very, very excited to be here with you. Um, uh, apologies in advance for any linguistic lapses that might occur during the, <laughs> the talk. I'm, uh, I'm from all. We can barely speak English, you know, so, <laughs> so don't, don't have any concerns about that whatsoever. I understand you perfectly, so shouldn't <laughs> That's be an good. issue. Yeah. And, uh, and the same in reverse, so yes, we're fine. Much. We can crack on. Yeah. Welcome to Derry and Tom's. Now, of course, um, I think we came across each other probably through Twitter, and I can't remember exactly when I became aware of your Twitter account, but... I remember seeing some of your artwork and I remember seeing some of your Elric storyboards and we've interacted a couple of times on Twitter, but yeah. not not just the Elric storyboard work, but actually you have recently illustrated an RPG, which we'll get to in due time, yeah. which is, again, Mococ related, the Black Hack yeah. second edition. 
Yeah. And I'm very excited that I've got my PDFs of that now, so I've been able to peruse that. But you're also involved in some other bits and pieces as well. But as ever, when we have a new guest on this show, the standard question is, what's your history with Michael Moorcock and genre fiction more broadly? Uh, yeah, well, uh, Moorcock was actually, I think, the actually the first fantasy author I ever read. I was maybe like uh, six or seven years old, and my dad borrowed some books from uh, a workmate of his, and uh, it was uh, like a children's line of books, usually adventure fare like Jules Verne, uh, Karl May, hmm. stuff like that. But also they had Murcock in the same line. I don't know if they thought it was appropriate for children exactly, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it and it was actually Hawkman books. Yeah, and uh, the, the, actually Hawkman was the first proper fantasy. Uh, hero I, I i read about and it was uh around the same time when i first saw uh john borman's excalibur mm. so it all kind of fit together <laughs> perfectly in that way and it was immediately inspiring i drew since i was maybe three years old and i read them at six or seven and i think that sealed the deal regarding uh my <laughs> genre of choice yeah so to speak. Yeah. Well, i think i was still somewhere around about the hobbit age six or seven and even then i think my mum was reading it to me rather than me reading it uh myself so oh, i was an early reader so yeah <laughs> uh, to dive straight into the Hawkmoon saga at that age i mean this you know it's in places it can be quite goofy but there's some pretty yeah. strong imagery in there isn't there yeah, so uh, what impact did that have on you as a six or seven year old uh i think the first thing that stuck out now that i'm trying to remember it uh the animal mask helmets stuff like that you know yeah. from grand Bretagne. uh it was such a striking Im image for me. I, I uh, probably because of Excalibur again, because there mm. are also these pig-faced helmets and dog-faced helmets in that uh, in that film. That's right. And, yeah. Yeah. It's it was like a perfect storm of inspiration, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think it was uh, around then that I was first starting to get into the English language. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I first realized that uh, Grand Bretagne actually. Look at this. It's actually Great Britain. This is yeah. a world kind of like our own. So <laughs> what a fun idea. And it just kind of went from, <clears throat> uh, sorry, uh, went from there. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Excalibur as well. And yep. I think I think we're maybe 56 or 57 episodes in. And I don't think we've ever yep. talked about Excalibur on this podcast. Yep. <laughs> but visual design-wise, I can remember watching Excalibur probably pre-10 years old. And yeah, definitely. when it was probably first broadcast on the television in the 80s and my dad recorded it on VHS and I must have watched it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. <laughs> so if, if you're creative and artistic, what kind of impact does John Barman's Excalibur have on your imagination at that age? Uh, well, uh, f uh, the first thing I, I uh, that stuck out to me there that I remember vividly is the Maybe you'll remember too the uh, green glow on the armor uh, yeah. whenever the magic is present. Yeah, I think that was the the whole kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Excalibur gets drawn, or or uh, Lady of Lake appears, whatever, and the the these shining armors get this this otherworldly green glow, mm. and it it looks so perfect, <laughs> and yeah. I loved it. And you get that musical sting every time yes. as well, yes. don't you? Whenever you get the green glow, yeah. I can remember yeah. watching that and. It, it struck me on a couple of levels. I mean, one is it's incredibly violent. So yeah. the battle at the beginning where you have 
knights fighting each other, two knights holding one man down as another knight puts a, an axe into his chest, yeah. limbs being <laughs> lopped off. And when when Uther is kind of down on his luck a little bit, all the armor is rusted and filthy. Yes. And it looks heavy as shit. <laughs> it really does. There's that fight where where he's trying to escape. After after he's used Merlin's help to get into uh, the castle and have his way yep. with Igraine, which um, top marks doing that in armor. That's something that struck me as a kid. Was <laughs> oh, is that oh, yeah. actually, is that's that actually possible? Yeah, um, <laughs> clearly on some level. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's being chased through the forest, and yeah, all of all of the fighting is laboured, and they all look yes, absolutely exhausted. It was the first time I'd yes. ever seen anything like that, and, and kind of thought that actually this is really brutal, and that it takes its toll on the people wearing the armour. It's violent. It's unpleasant. It looks absolutely. Yeah, the story. Incredible. The story is magical, but uh, there is this natural physicality to it as well, and mm. it kind of plays off each other excellently. I think. Yeah, and the, of course, there's some really truly fantastic performances in there as well. And course, yeah. once you get onto you know the Knights of the Round Table, they've got the glorious armor and everything else, and then everything builds up to that peak. You've got that wonderful performance from Nicole Williamson as Merlin, which again yes. is unlike anything in any other film. Exactly. And it all builds up to that incredible battle at the end. But you have that contrast between. Those early scenes where everything's filthy, everything's muddy, and the scenes where Percival is trying to find the Grail, and England is kind of damned and pestilence, yes. and there's a couple of character, like background character actors, who pop up in a lot of these films. They pop up there. They've got, I think, I think the expression is interesting faces. So when <laughs> yeah. he's, so when he's out there and, and everything is is completely fucked, you have these characters. And I remember, I remember seeing one of them and thinking, oh, it's that, it's that guy. And it was in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> in Return of the Jedi, when Luke Skywalker goes up to the Emperor's tower yeah. on on the yeah. Death Star, the Emperor is yes. gassing with a couple of tall, weird-looking blokes in yeah. um, like his counselors or something. And one of them is one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I never got that from the swamp in Excalibur, <laughs> who probably got his work because he had this interesting face. And he also pops I love up in, those bases, yo. <laughs> yeah, he also pops up in Jabberwocky, which is my other favourite nights flailing around also in the mud film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's wonderful. And then the, the design on that film, once you get to um, Mordred, the introduction of Mordred first as a young boy and then as a, a, a grown man, that armour with the half face. Yes, yes. The gold arm, it's just, it's incredible. That, that will get you into fantasy, I think. Yeah. If anything will. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. I, I can remember my, my parents going to see that at cinema and coming back. And my, my dad and my uncles and my granddad, as you'll know if you listen to the podcast, they were all into fantasy and science fiction and all that business. Mm -hmm. And I can distinctly remember probably two films from when I was a kid where they came back and I'd be at um, Nana and Pop's house on a Saturday and my dad would be there and my uncle would be there and they would be waxing lyrical about a film. And it only really <laughs> happened twice. It was Excalibur and it was Conan the Barbarian. To them, they were like the <laughs> yeah. the ultimate sword and sorcery Absolutely. movies. Absolutely, to this day. Yeah, and it's never changed. They've never been replaced, have they? <laughs> Certainly not in my mind. So yeah, you've read absolutely. you've read the Hawk Moon books as a six and seven year old. Yeah, did around did, you, there did that lead you into any other genre fiction? How how did you reach out into other parts of the genre and, and another Moorcock? 
I think it was a natural progression from there. Obviously, I heard of Lord of the Rings and got into that soon thereafter. Yeah. But also, there were a lot of French comics when I was growing growing up that were available to me, and a lot of them had these fantasy elements. For example, I don't know if you've heard of Thorgal. That's a famous. That's a French comic book that mixes science fiction and fantasy in a very fun way. And it was a huge influence on me as well. Yeah. So and kind of naturally went from there. Everything that I, that had that kind of a earthy, magically aesthetic, just naturally drew me drew me mm. to it. And um, of course, El, El, Elric was uh, the obvious choice after after Hawkmoon. Yeah. I remember uh, the edition I had had the uh, Robert Gould covers, mm. and those drew me in also very very effectively. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wasn't exposed to the Robert Gold covers until much further down the line. Yeah. Um, my first was the Jack Garn Stormbringer cover from the late sixties, oh, right, right. with his pointy hat, pointy hat, yeah, and his, <laughs> his, his big boots. And from that point onwards, it was mostly things like Michael Whelan and Mayflower covers. Mm. Yes, yeah. you're growing up in Serbia, and yes. what is the what's the fantasy scene like in Serbia for a, for a kid who's growing up and you know you, you've accessed Michael Moorcock stuff? Yeah. Is is there a like a a, a a a thriving scene for that kind of stuff in Serbia? There's a lot of translation, and it's pretty popular. Uh, George Martin recently was extremely popular. Obviously, mm. Tolkien also extremely popular. Uh, a lot of translations, a lot of good translations, but a very very little homegrown stuff. Mm. Uh, at least that I'm aware of. Yeah. So the mainstays of global fantasy, so to speak. Mm. Are very very present. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you obviously are a creative and talented artist. So, when did that come about? When did you suddenly realize that you had a, a feeling and a talent for it? <laughs> well, uh, I can't remember a time when I didn't draw. Uh, when it became actually worth looking at, <laughs> I can't really pinpoint the exact moment. But I know that in elementary school, my teacher was mightily impressed. Mm. So and. Uh, Having that kind of a response naturally spurs you on to to do more of it. So basically, I've drawn since since I I can recall basically, mm. uh, and uh, started doing it professionally actually pretty late. Um, I was maybe twenty four, so some ten years ago now. Uh, before that, I was a teacher. I actually by education, I'm a, I'm a teacher of English, and mm. yeah, I taught uh, elementary school and high school, and then. Some opportunities presented themselves, and mm. I got into art professionally. Mm. So let's say around 24 is when I really, really got into uh, the, the career that I'm in now. Mm. And it must be an incredibly rewarding pursuit as well, because... Absolutely, yes. You get to indulge your fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it never actually comes out the way you see it, maybe, in your head. Mm. Uh if indeed you can see anything concrete in your head, you know. Uh, but over the last maybe uh, two or three years, I've been pretty pleased with what's coming out mm. <laughs> out of my hands, if not the head. Mm. One of the things that you're doing at the moment is illustrating for, of course, role-playing games, one yes. of which is the Black Hack 2nd Edition. So, Are you a gamer yourself? Uh, no, not particularly. Uh, I enjoy uh, the world. I enjoy mm. the artwork, obviously. But never played much uh, personally. Hmm. So I do plan you... to. I do plan to. Okay. So how did you get pulled into 
the realms of illustrating, for example, uh, Black Hack Second Edition? Uh, actually, I was just posting fan art uh, to Twitter. Yeah. And I guess Olivia from the Mary Mushman saw uh, uh, my takes on Elric uh, and probably thought that I would be a good fit uh, for Black Sword Hack. Since the game itself is uh, inspired mostly by Morcock, but also Fritz Leiber, uh, Gene Wolfe, uh, all that uh, otherworldly kind of fantasy. Mm. A more literary, maybe. Yeah. So right up your street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Mm. Uh, it was like I was half the time I was feeling like I was uh, drawing for myself. So perfect job, basically. Yeah. A perfect assignment for me. Yeah. So, what are your plan? You said you you intend to have a bash and throw your hat in the ring and have a good game. <laughs> yeah. What, is, yeah. What are you thinking? Oh, I uh, no idea. Honestly, I know that I I'm going to do it online probably, but yeah. st still going to have to shop around, I guess. Yeah. Since I'm not that <laughs> experienced. Well, I would guess that you know when we put this out, you'll probably get some offers. So, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll Hope see. So, yeah. We'll see. Should be fun. Because it's not just Black Axe Second Edition as well. You've also been working on the Chronicles of Ares. Yes, uh, although that's just the cover. Uh, Black Sword Hack is filled with my artwork. Mm -hmm. mm. I did artwork for that exclusively, so there's nobody else in that book but me. And the Chronicles of Ares reissue, the upcoming reissue, I did the cover for. Right, okay. Uh, that game is, as you probably know, inspired by animation from the 80s fantasy films. Mm. So I went in that sort of direction, kind of. Mm. Don Bluth, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Don Bluth, uh, Ralph Bakshi kind of way. Hmm. Are, are they your chief influences then? Uh, I wouldn't say so. My chief influences probably are more on the French side of things, maybe so Moebius or uh, actually a Asterix is my favorite comic book of all time. Ah. So Alberto D'Arzo, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was a and huge Asterix fan as a kid. Mm. Who was? <laughs> it's a European staple, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, when I was at school, kids were generally split. Um, you either had the kids who were into Tintin, oh, yeah. or you had the kids who That's were right. into Asterisk, Asterisk, yeah. bloody hell, Asterisk. <laughs> Asterisk yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I fell very much on the the Asterisk side of the equation. And weirdly, my first exposure to Asterisk was a Spanish um, translation oh, really? of Asterisk. So I didn't I didn't really understand any of the dialogue. But yeah. the the visual humor and the gags and the Absolutely design of the amazing. characters just worked completely. Yes, and I can remember eventually getting some English copies. I think it was in, I think our English class might have had some on the shelf. I think they had the Mansion of the Gods and oh, yeah. and Asterix <laughs> in Belgium, perhaps, and they were just absolutely wonderful. So funny, so. Over the top, so energetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Obelix became but, my favorite character because I've always been partly. absolutely probably still is for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've always been partly even as a child, so I always <laughs> I always appreciated Obelix. But the thing that really really made me sad was every single story ended with the feast, yeah, and every single one of them had their own wild boar, <laughs> and of course the bard was tied up in the tree. So yep. he, he couldn't ruin everybody's feast. And as a child, my greatest fantasy was to be at a feast with my own wild boar because there was something <laughs> about the artwork. I don't know Absolutely. what the technique was, 
but the artwork made the bar look succulent and greasy. Delectable. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think this is a universal experience. Everyone I talked to about Asterix said, oh, God, God, the food looks so good. Yeah, it really <laughs> does. It really does. Yeah, maybe one, maybe one day I will get to have one of those feasts and have a, a bar all to myself. Oh, the dream. Yeah, uh, dream. I hear that the meat is pretty tough, actually, for well uh, board. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. never tried it myself, so... Well, you know what? You've got to try everything once. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you said that the um, Olivia, who asked you to work on Black Hack Second Edition, yeah. had again come across you and some of the things that you were posting on Twitter. And of course, I think yes. one of the things that struck me um, very quickly after following you on Twitter was your Elric of Melanibonair storyboards for a movie that was never made. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Uh, I was uh, looking for a way to to make the definitive Elric, mm-hmm. for me at least. And uh, obviously, I knew about the previous takes, like uh, P. Craig Russell's comic books, mm-hmm. and the more recent uh, uh, the names are, I think Robin Rack, Didier Poli, uh, the uh, Glenat editions, yeah, yeah. Uh, where uh, the world and Melnibonians uh, in particular are, are very like dark and gothic, yeah. And uh, almost entirely uh, dressed in black. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember Doctor Jest looks basically like like a cinnabite. Yeah, he has no arms and these amazing big spider spider legs on his back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the take, but I thought it went maybe a bit too far, mm-hmm. dark wise. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, Big Craig Russell was very. I I don't know how to. It was multicolored <laughs> to say the least. Wonderfully drawn. Yeah, but also a bit of an attack on the senses, I think. Mm. So I, basically, I wanted to to find the middle ground between the the campsite and the dark gothic, yeah, kind of take with it. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking about how would I achieve this? Maybe like a series of sketches, just or like maybe three or four paintings, just to get the feel of the world. Uh, but then I figured that animation would have been probably the, the Perfect medium for mm. for these stories, and I figured, why not try a new thing and make uh, fake screen caps, so to say, mm. from a film that was never made. And I ended up making twelve, and they cover uh, basically book one of book one. Yeah, basically they end uh, with the moment when Elric falls into the sea towards Strasha. Yeah, I think the reason why they appeal to me so much is exactly as you just described. I like the, to, to an extent, the French comic adaptations, yeah. the Julian Blondel stuff. I yeah. like the artwork. I admire the art style, but it doesn't Absolutely. really fit my imagination as to how I see Elric. Yeah, I agree there. I'm mm-hmm. still fixated very much on um, my early readings of Elric, where yeah. he's, he's dressed like a southern barbarian, he's dressed like a dandy. He's, yes, he's wearing brightly coloured pantaloons and whatever else. That he's was wearing the first thing for me. Yeah, the clashing patterns, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and again, as you pointed out, the P. Craig Russell's ones, um, they're they can be quite hard on the eye, and I yeah. I appreciate the psychedelia that he brings to the table, but it, absolutely, it fits. It, yeah, yeah, but it goes to a point where it, at times it almost looks goofy, and so actually striking that balance between those those two poles is why they're so appealing. And not only are they colourful, but actually the illustrations of the characters have a really, really wonderful animation 
stylistic animation look to them, which is which is fantastic. Thank you very much. Mission accomplished then on my part. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed the other day on again on Twitter that somebody had animated one of the yes. one of the frames and actually put some voice acting to it as well. Yeah. So not only is your work out there, but people are actually starting to develop your work. Yeah, that, that was amazing to see. Uh, I am always happy to inspire others, and uh, especially with, with a project like this. Uh, Elric has been running around my head for decades at this point, mm. and it's it's very gratifying to, mm. to, to see things like that. Also, I, I've received fan art of my take on Elric, so that that's just wow. incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's incredible. It, a new thing, a new experience, but a uh, few others like it, I think. Mm. So, seeing as you've storyboarded Elric, yeah. I think it would be rude if we didn't pull out Lord Shark's ostentatious couch and talk about casting, fantasy oh, yeah. casting <laughs> um, Elric. Have, have, you ever, have you ever thought about what your ideal take on Elric would have been? Because, of course, we keep getting these suggestions that there will be some kind of television or streaming adaptation. I think the news yeah. is now out that the Elric of Melnibane TV series isn't going to happen. The Hawkmoon TV series isn't going to happen. But Apple TV Plus are now working on an Eternal Champion TV series. Oh, and, I think I saw something about it, yeah. Yeah, and they have the rights to all of the characters, I think, except... I can't remember which one. It's maybe except Michael Caine and... Was it Jared Canny? I can't remember. Somebody, somebody okay. has the rights yeah. to a couple of bits and pieces. Sure. But sure. they've got the rights to Von Beck. They've got the rights to Hot Moon back off the BBC. They've got the rights to Elric, Erikos, right. Coram. It's all yeah. there. So if we were to have ourselves a meeting with the Apple TV Plus producers, which I think, I think it's, um, it's David S. Goyer, who I've got mixed okay. feelings about because he just seems to do everything. But they did a fairly <laughs> good job with Sandman. So I've got to That's give true. them the benefit of the doubt, I think. So what what would be the do's and don'ts for you? They approach you and say, Goran, we want you to storyboard the Elric section of right. um, of the Apple TV Plus series. What would be your kind of nightmare prompts from a producer <laughs> that you wouldn't want to put into an Elric adaptation? Oh, that, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, first and foremost, I wouldn't want it to be monochromatic. Mm. So, no dark, spiky armor everywhere. Mm. That's the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely not that. Uh, second thing, Alec cannot be jacked. He cannot be swole. <laughs> mm. He cannot look like a bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. He needs to look sickly, skinny, on the verge of death, basically, at all yeah. times. Mm. So, these are the big two things, I think, for the main character and the world around him. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to actors, I, I don't have a tendency to fan cast anything in my head hmm. but for the fake screen caps that i did uh peter murphy the, the singer the musician was hmm. my idea in my head for elric of course obviously he's too old now to play the role maybe yeah. voice or something like that but uh that kind of uh, a presence i think would hmm. fit him best hmm. as hmm. for actual names i really couldn't say i think i've got a, a lot of I don't want to say anxieties because I'm not sufficiently invested in television to really yeah. get, <laughs> that, get that heated <laughs> up about it. But no, no. yeah, I, I have certain anxieties about you know it becoming uh, an all singing, all dancing, streaming TV show, and because it's going to include all sorts of different things that maybe 
certain things just won't get the attention they deserve. But on the other hand, I think these books were written in three days on speed binges. And, <laughs> Absolutely, so yeah. Yeah, and, and you, you can They're read... They're not sacred texts as no, such. <laughs> you can read them on one visit to the toilet, some of them. So <laughs> yeah. m- maybe that's the right way to do it, you know? Maybe that is the right yeah, way to yeah. do it, so I don't know. So what else are you working on? Because I saw also that you're, you've done some work for uh, a rock opera called Place of Honor. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's new. Uh, actually, I just finished it three days ago, I think. Hmm. Uh, there are, the, uh, the entire album is based on uh, the uh, nuclear refuse warnings uh, that people probably come across uh, uh, on the internet. The, the things... Uh, the messages that say things like "This is not a place of honor. Do not enter here," stuff like that. Right. And uh, I was assigned to do a single illustration for the album, uh, but other artists will cover other songs on the album, and it looks like an uh, like an amazing project so far. Hmm. What else are you working on? Uh, currently, uh, I'm wrapping up some personal commissions. Don't have anything uh, big lined up at the moment. Have to finish a comic book series I've been working on. It's called Company of the Eagle. It's kind of like a flintlock fantasy kind of thing mm. written by John Perez. Um, we did three issues so far. I have to finish the the fourth one this year. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest item on my agenda for 2023. Right. So are you open to commissions? I don't usually open them on Twitter uh, because I don't want to <laughs> sound like I'm complaining, but I get inundated with messages and I can't keep up. Uh... So for now, I just accept... Sometimes email commissions when they strike my fancy, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, a, a fairly good position to be in, isn't it? Oh, excellent position to be in as an artist, absolutely. Mm. So uh, you won't hear me complaining at all. Yeah. Now, I've checked out your website as well, and there's not only the Elric storyboards on there, but you've actually you've also done illustrations of other Eternal Champion characters. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the triptych human theme yeah. uh, with uh, Elric... Quarum and Hawkmoon. Mm. The, to be perfectly honest, I haven't read Hawkmoon in maybe since the first time I read them, so mm. it's a bit of a loose imagining. I just remembered the black stone in the forehead, <laughs> yeah. and I figured that would be enough to, to communicate who it was. And well, it I, I think it's fair to say is. that Hawkmoon is the least colourful of all the characters, yeah. so as long as you get that right, there's there's not yeah, a whole lot more to worry about. Quarum has more uh, distinguishing features like the hand and the, the eye. Yeah. So you actually sell prints of those as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, people who are interested in prints can look me up uh, online, Goran Gligovic. The chili is written like a C. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very easy to find. Uh, I sell prints uh, on imprint.com, and everyone should buy one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I also, I'm also open about... Uh, the fact that uh, I allow all my personal work to be downloaded and used any way you like, so mm. no need to buy the print if you can't afford it. Just use and you've, you've, of course, you've got a Patreon as well. Uh, yes, yes. Also, I run a Patreon. Uh, this year, I'm trying to do what I call kernels, little fantasy ideas. Yeah. Uh, also drawn in that animated style that I did the the Elric storyboards in. Uh, we'll see how long that keeps my attention and then maybe I'll move on to something next to something mm. else. Yeah. Uh, artists, artists are like that. It's hard to, to, to hold our attention for long, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to that whole over of Moorcock in art and comics, yeah. what are you, what are your absolute favorites? Which, which are the ones that really work for you? 
uh, I think uh, my favorite depictions are the uh, uh, Robert Gold ones. Mm -hmm. Those are suitably weird for me. They seem so otherworldly, like they've been drawn in another in a totally different universe. So that mm -hmm. fits with the entire theme of the thing, I guess. And the uh, you'll remember this properly. Uh, there's a cover by an artist called Ulek Heller. It depicts Elric. Uh, he's painted uh, like uh, in a night scene. Uh, he's entirely blue with red eyes, and yes. the sea battle is happening underneath him. Yeah. With the floating ziggurat of the Melibonian That's right. Yeah. Battleships. That's the one. That one is really, I think, yeah. I think that that's the one I call um, his blue steel because. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's yes. doing, he's doing <laughs> yeah, his blue okay. steel. First yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, that, it that works is great. For me in a big way. The, the the dragon helmet is fantastic in that one, also. Yeah, and there's, there's also I think he may have done the sleeping sorceress cover as well, which also has oh, him. I'm not sure, I know that one. He's, he's again, he's blue. Um, yeah. I think it was I can't remember the publisher, but there are there are two covers where Elric is blue. There's sure. the sailor on the seas of fate one, blue steel, and there's the other one where he's looking like someone's just told him a really shocking story. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's wide-eyed. Um, I'll, I'll have to double-check that and see if it's the same artist. I've probably seen it. Uh, I've seen yeah. tons and tons of girls. I've never seen one that I really hate, though, mm. I have to say. Mm. I think the character and the world are flexible enough to, to take all kinds of stuff. So yeah. I've never seen one that I hate it. Yeah. No, I think that's true. So what else can we plug for you while you're here in Derry and Tom's? Uh, uh, well, uh, as you said, I run a Patreon account. Twitter account and an in-print account, all under the name of Goran Gligovic. Mm -hmm. Again, written like a C. Uh, other than that, uh, there's not much to say. Uh, I tend to plug everything I do on Twitter, so if people follow me there, they're probably not going to miss anything important that I post here. All right, cool. Well, we'll link to your page, your Patreon page, and your Twitter account in the much. show notes when this goes out. But for now, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and uh, hopefully Likewise. we'll get you back in DTs at some point in the future to talk about something more cocky and or maybe something else. We'll see. Maybe it even talk about pleasure. gaming experiences. Oh, oh sure. When I when I dip my toes, as it were, into the, the whole scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, funnily enough, I as our I think we've done five RPG focused episodes now, and we will be doing a sixth before long. But I'm just trying to decide whether I will run an online game of Black Hack 2nd Edition or Mornblade. Because, of course, oh. I've just got my PDF of the Mornblade starter set, uh, which has been sent out to backers of the Elric board game. Yeah. And, yeah, I'll probably... But I think if I was to hand out an invitation for you to join myself and a couple of the patrons to have a bash at a more cocky type game i think it would be only be right that it would be black Hack Second. oh Edition. that sounds amazingly fun yeah yeah it would yeah. be hard to say no to that yeah yeah well in that case we'll we'll line it up and uh, there's a couple of fellas who've been running a lot of stormbringer um who are going to come on and talk about their experiences of running the games as well so i think it'd be a lot of fun to actually have a, a one shot of black hack second edition one sunday that afternoon would be amazing or something. And you then, can count uh, me in if it happens. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we'll do it, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll we'll stick it out there for people to hear. Excellent. All right. Sounds like a plan to me. Thanks, Goran. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much.
Right, so we have just popped back into Derry and Tom's. Uh, this is several <clears> weeks after our original recording, but something occurred to me that after our last show, we celebrated the fact that some of our patrons had stuck around for quite a protracted period of time, and we sent out some some goodies to non-top-level patrons, i.e. patron demons, who crossed a certain threshold. But I thought... It's been a funny month here at Derry and Tom's, and I thought just generally in order to celebrate not only the glory of your artwork, Goran, but also just generally being alive, it being summer, May Day has passed, time of rebirth, and also I was looking at your imprint web shop and looking at some of your glorious work, and we'll talk about some of that, because there's not only your Moorcock work on there, but also for our Tolkien fans and our Tolkien fan friends out there, there's some really rather marvellous Tolkien work on there as well. That's very kind of you to say, thank you. Yeah, Saruman the Black. I'm a big fan of Hair Doll, Merry Doll. <laughs> um, very happy to Tolkien hear that. fan will know what we're talking about there. That's <laughs> wonderful. Um, but also, what have we got? Thranduil, Turin Turambar, Deep Cut, Tolkien yeah. Deep Cut, <laughs> The Witch King, Morgoth. And of course, I will link to this imprint art shop in the show notes. But Moorcock fans, Tolkien fans, and fans of other things in general, and certainly this style of art and your style of art, should get on down there and check it out. But also, at the top of the page, and I only saw these on Twitter probably last week for the first time when you tweeted yep, them, yep. the Gatite Kemosit yep. album covers. Tell us a little bit about those and where they came from, because I've got to say, number two, Hyborian Heavy Armour, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brilliant and i think i'm gonna thank pick you up thank you that, that that's one is my favorite as well mm. uh well uh i'm a fan of metal music and metal artwork and uh i was rereading the first book in the viriconium series by m john harrison uh, the pastel city yeah where a race of uh, brain-stealing robots called the kitite chemosite make an appearance and i always thought that that made for a fantastic man name so i figured mm. why not i uh employed the services of my friend uh, Andrei Lukian, who uh, created the logo that you see at the top of uh, every album cover. And then I just went to town and tried to make four extremely metal images. Yeah. In my mind, it sounds maybe thrashy, maybe a bit, a bit of death metal in there. Hmm. So, yeah. That's definitely the sensation I got. Um, <laughs> but but also, number three, with the fist hitting the mush of the person with the outrageous hair. I, got, I actually got a, a almost a 80s goth band feel from that as well. Which, they they uh, could be pretty wonderful. punky, pretty goth, yeah. Yeah, a bit punky, bit gothy, new wave of British heavy metal feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, So, but I'll be picking up a print of Hyborian Heavy Armour for sure. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot to me. And uh, that one is my favourite, I think, just yeah. because of the ridiculousness of the concept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose for people, of course, the problem when you're talking about art and a podcast isn't a visual medium. Yeah. I suppose we, yeah. we should just describe what we're actually looking at here. So we're looking... I'll leave that well, to you. you. describe it. <laughs> you describe it. <laughs> right. Okay. 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 Uh, Hyborian Heavy Armor uh, uh, presents an image of uh, a World War One era kind of tank with Hyborian trappings. So there, there are skulls and horns. Uh, and it's being commandeered by a Conan-looking figure brandishing a sword. So... I think that that about covers the, the basics. Yeah, it's, it's it's very red. If that means anything on a podcast. <laughs> if there are any bands out there who listen to this podcast, 
check this out Absolutely. because this type of artwork definitely needs to adorn a real record for sure. Yeah. Obviously, I agree here. Yeah. Well, naturally. <laughs> naturally. Yeah. Now, of course, what we're going to do here is we're going to do uh, a little giveaway for four of our patron demons. I've, I've settled on four because okay. there are, well, actually, technically, there are five Mococ images in here, but one of them is a compilation of three other images. Yes. So I was thinking correct. what we'd go with is there's the Elric animated storyboard print. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give one of those away. There is an image of a portrait of Dorian Hawkmoon, a portrait yes. of Coram, and a portrait of Elric of Malnivenay. So four lucky patron demons will be receiving some of these whenever I pull my finger out and get around to actually ordering them and figuring out how to bill it to myself but send it to a different address. Which sometimes turns out to be quite tricky, particularly when the printer... Yeah, sometimes it is. I agree, yeah. I will figure it out and I will view it as a <laughs> challenge. Now, before I do that, however... I'm a little bit thirsty, and the sun is past the yard arm, and I am aware that when we talked last time, we didn't actually discuss beer, which was something of an oversight on my part. Um, so yeah. just to address that, I'm going to have a hula hula fruited pale ale while we do the draw. And this has been on my desk for quite a while. It's a fusion pale ale bursting with citrus notes from Amarillo hops and amped up with a blend of mandarin and apricot fruit additions, which probably means it's 70% sugar. Probably, yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say it sounds sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds sweet, yeah. yeah. Well, you know <laughs> so what? Let me know how it turns out. It's early in the day, so I'm just going to give it a go. Here we go. Actually, not nearly as sweet as I expected. No, that, not too that's bad. a pleasant Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I wouldn't buy it again. But anyway, <laughs> let's get down to business. So we have 25 patron demons. Now, in the past, we've done things like rolled... 20-sided dice and various other methods but we've already had the discussion and you are game curious but not a gamer so won't have access to things like 20-sided dice that won't work anywhere because we've got 25 patron demons so what we're gonna have to do is i'm just going to ask you to randomly come up with a number between sure. one and 25 and we'll go from there so first up the elric animated storyboard prints Give us a number. Seven. Seven. That will be Randall Gatlin. Okay, I'll just make a note of that because otherwise I will forget because I'm fucking useless. Randall. <laughs> Star. Congratulations, Randall. Congratulations to Randall. Okay, another number between one and 25 that isn't seven. Well, let's go with 12. Okay, 12 will be Robert McMillan. So Robert McMillan gets... The Duke Dorian Hawkmoon print. Let me just make a note of that as well. Okay. Third number. Let's go with 18. 18 will be Joe Monty. Now, that's actually quite apt because Joe Monty is the editor at Saga Press who was behind the Elric, three-volume Elric saga. So congratulations, Joe. An Elric of Melnibonair print by Goran on its way to you. Make a note of that. And last number. Let's go with a round 20. 20. That, yep. is, that is the OG patron, Norman Beresford. Norman is our oldest patron. Excellent. So glad to hear that. Three and a half years as Norman. And he's not often come up in our draws, which is pretty terrible, really. But congratulations, I feel extra happy now. Yeah. Congratulations, Norm. 
you get the Corum print. Lovely. So, we will get those out, or get them ordered, anyway, from the imprint web shop over the next week or so, and hopefully no. by the time this podcast drops, they'll be winging their way to people in the post. They're usually pretty prompt, I find, so Super. should be okay. Yeah. And I actually looked on the site earlier on. They've actually got an offer on at the moment where worldwide shipping is $5. Actually, three of those folks are in the USA and Norman's in the UK. So I can get Norman a reasonably priced print shipped from the US while this offer's on. So that's another prompt for me to pull my finger out and get it done. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Congrats to all the winners, I just want to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just me yakking over you. Fortunately, I can edit myself out. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the arms and the M's, whatever I end up saying uh, clumsily, feel free to edit out anything. Oh, no, you speak English better than I do. So, don't worry. <laughs> All right, that's lovely. Well, thanks for popping back and sorting no out that Pleasure. minor administrative detail. Sure. And uh, <laughs> take care, and we'll see you out there again. Yeah, hopefully, we'll do some gaming. Sooner. Yeah. Well, yes, of course, because it is several weeks since we recorded the first part of this. And yes, yep. we do now have a raft of five players keen to play my Black... They may regret it after they've played it, but they're keen to have a go at playing <laughs> my take on Black Hack Second Edition, Black Sword Hack Second Edition. So we'll get that sorted out, and hopefully we'll get that in the calendar over the next few weeks. Excellent. Massive thanks to Goran for dropping into Darian Tom's not only once, but twice. You can find his portfolio at goranglikovic.com, and I'll link to that and his imprint site in the show notes. Also, some thanks to other folks too. Thanks to Gabriel Laycock for letting us know that a basilard is a dagger, or short sword, with a hilt shaped somewhat like a letter H on its side. So, thanks for that, Gabriel. And the thank yous continue. There are a few today, but I've had a lovely month. All the way from New York, Greg Faulkner sent me a fantastic cast metal keyring of the show logo, the Simon Perrin's show logo, of course, and I love it. It put a real smile on my face, and, judging by Instagram, Greg, it's a hotly desired item. Now, you can check out Greg's work at Carrera Casting on Instagram, or visit CarreraCasting.com, but it's a terrific piece of work, and it's right in front of me, right now, making me smile. Meanwhile, Steve Aylett, author of Hyperthick, Lint, and the Mococ-approved dancer's tale, Rebel at the End of Time, amongst a plethora of other wonderful satirical goods that you can peruse at steveaylett.com, sent me The Trickster Brick, a deck of 78 cards containing Aylett texts, surreal imagery, and creativity prompts that are currently helping me navigate a lengthy writer's block. So I'm going to draw a card now, and I've drawn Harvest. In a society which has amassed standards as a buttress against curiosity and invention, there are works with so many building code violations that a life of dazzling intensity finds its way in at every hole. And the prompt on that card is, do it with your eyes closed and screaming. So thanks, Steve. With a fair wind, we'll be doing a Steve Ayler episode at some point. I just need to pull my finger out, get my stuffing back in and catch up on my reading. But, naturally, thanks as always to our patrons. First, those without tear. Anthony Piconti, Tim Cardos, Dave Dempster and Sebastian Weetabix. 
and to our chaos engineers, Andrew Cicluna, Andrew Van Ness, Anthony Porter, Benjamin Fletcher, Craig Ledley, Dave Griffiths, Dave Voxman, Gabriel Laycock, Harvey Faulkner-Aston, Jim Kirkland, Jib Knight, John W. Lays, Jules Lawrence, Lee Gary, Malpertwee, Mary Catherine, Matt Saltz, Menion, Nelbert, Paul McRandall, Scott Butler, Simon Perrins, and Brandon Mays. And to our crafty Jugaderos, Alexander Harris, Ian Stead, Laws, Taylor, Matthew Broom, Toby White, Mark Hebden, Graham Holden, and Ray Otis. And finally, of course, eternal thanks to our patron demons, Andy Darby, Clarky the Cruel, David Lee, Fred Keish, Gareth Wilson, Greg Faulkner, Gwen Barlow, Imria, Jenny Stim, Jerisa, Joe Monty, Jason Vogel, Liam J, Miles Reed Labato, Mortmain, Neil Burton, Paul Hillary, Randall Gatlin, Steve Round, Tom Murphy, the OG patron Norman Beresford, and last but of course never least, Robert McMillan. Now, I do have something of a confession to make regarding the draw that we made with Goran earlier in the show. I did get the orders out for those prints, but I fucked up which print people were getting. <laughs> so when they arrive, gentlemen, you will find that you've got a wonderful Goran print. It may not be the one that we announced on the show, but I hope you enjoy it nevertheless. So finally... Thanks for all the positivity and best wishes over what has been a very interesting month over here at Derry and Tom's, but it's much appreciated. But enough yakking for now. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Breakfast Ruins. You can email us at breakfastruins@outlook.com. The webpage is breakfastintheruins.com. BITR Breakfast in the Ruins Radio is live on Radio Garden or via the web player at breakfastintheruinsradio.blogspot.com. We have our Patreon page too, and there are a few extra odds on sods on there. But for now, take care, stay safe, and we will meet again soon on the Moonbeam Rods. (laughs) 